Hey friends, welcome to TMST. Before I introduce today's guests, I have an important announcement about the show. We have decided to bring TMST to a close, and this episode right here will be our second to last. I've got a lot to say about what went into this decision, and I'm going to be sharing that next week in my final solo episode. For now, I will offer two things. First, to put to bed any fears that the episodes will disappear, they won't. We're keeping everything up. And second, although this was not an easy decision and it comes with some very real losses, it is ultimately a positive one. And it comes from a place of expansion and focus, not constriction or failure. We want to share the news before we just dropped the last episode on you next week. And as I said, I'll talk in quite a lot of detail about what went into it and reflect on what the show has been for us uh, and for me in next week's episode, which will be the final. All right, so I cannot think of a better person to be the last interview on TMST than today's guest, Melissa Urban. She's one of the few people who we've asked back to the show, and there's a good reason for that. In addition to being the CEO of Whole30, a multiple New York Times bestselling author, a mother, and someone in long-term recovery, she's also a friend and someone I actually learn a lot from constantly. She's got this very unique magnetic energy and such a strong, no-nonsense yet compassionate way of showing up in the world. Whenever I engage with her or her work, I find myself standing up a little taller, feeling a little more brave, and clearly I'm not the only one. When I heard she was writing a book on boundaries, I thought, hell yes, even though the world definitely doesn't need another book on boundaries. But I'd already seen her posting a lot about her approach to them on Instagram over the years, and despite being really strong in the boundary department myself, thanks to recovery, I learned a lot from those posts. The name of the book is called The Book of Boundaries. It comes out on October 11th, and we go way into why she wrote it, why boundaries are one of the most important life skills one can have, common pitfalls, why she wrote a specific section for mother-in-laws, and so much more. I got to read an early copy, and people, I am not overstating it when I say, hands down, this is the best book on boundaries that I've read. And I, I think I've read them all. It was actually a lot more like reading a good memoir than reading self-help if the memoir was actionable and made you feel like you had a new superpower. Although it doesn't come out for a couple weeks, you can pre-order the book of boundaries right now. We've got a link in our show notes or head to any place books are sold and grab it. You're going to want this one on your nightstand. I promise. I hope you love my conversation with Melissa Urban as much as I did. Here it is. Hi, you're back. I am back. I'm really excited to see you again and chat with you. I can't wait to talk about this book. I mean, I've read... I think all the books on boundaries out there, uh, I've taught boundaries as someone, you know, that works with people in recovery. It's a huge topic. And I said to you, this is the best boundaries book that I have read yet. And I meant that because it's so, it's so relatable, but also, um, like practical, like you can actually use it. Did you ever think you'd write a book on boundaries? It depends on when you're thinking about, like the time period you're thinking about, right? Because no, obviously it didn't enter into my consciousness until, you know, early 2020. I had, I've always talked about boundaries with the Whole30 community, right? I've been doing Whole30, leading people through the program since 2009. For those of you familiar with the Whole30, it's an elimination program. So for 30 days, you say no a lot to offers of, you know, break room donuts or pizza at birthday parties or happy hour wine. And I figured out very quickly that people felt uncomfortable saying no to food and drink, especially in social settings. So I would help them say no on the Whole30. And once people figured out I was good at helping them say no to that stuff, they started bringing other, you know, how do I say no to my pushy mother-in-law or my Mm -hmm. overbearing boss or my nosy neighbor? 
So in a way, the Whole30 is a boundaries program, and I've been talking about boundaries for more than a decade, but it wasn't until the pandemic hit in 2020 when all of our lives, like our stuff just bled together, work and home and school and kids and personal relationships and housework and like we're all doing everything in the same space together that it became really apparent that people needed more help. And that's when I really started to focus more on boundaries with my Instagram community. And that's when people started saying, you should write a book about this. I would read more about this. We could like, how, what else could you do on this topic? And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of when the idea first came into my head. The best part of the book is that it's, it's simple and, and accessible and simple takes like that is the highest compliment because it takes so much work to make something simple. A lot of the books that I've read on boundaries, and there are some amazing ones out there, but they're not simple. One of the reasons it is simple is because it just focuses on relationships. And how did you get to that and like figure that out? Yes. So a lot of the ways I have always historically seen boundaries framed are by the sort of area of your life that the boundary is designed to protect. So people often categorize boundaries into like physical boundaries, uh, emotional boundaries, um, financial boundaries. And I always found that really complicated and confusing because there's so much overlap in any one situation. So I give an example of, you know, a woman who wrote to me and said, my husband just bought, you know, mid-pandemic, this huge amount of workout equipment and stuck it into our tiny little apartment. How, like, what do I do about this? How do I set a boundary here? And when I thought about it, I was like, okay, this is a physical boundary. Please don't crowd our physical space without checking with me first. Mm -hmm. This is a financial boundary. You just spent all this money on workout equipment without even talking to me. It's an it's a mental health boundary, which is like, are we not in partnership here? And isn't this something that you'd want to discuss with me? But really, the boundary that she needs to set is designed to improve their relationship, my my relationship with my romantic partner. And when I started framing it in that perspective, which area of your relationships is this boundary designed to support? It became very clear to me, very crystal clear. Yeah, where I needed to set the boundary with whom and more, most specifically the benefits that I would see in terms of my own health and safety and to this relationship if I were able to successfully set the boundary. So that's the framework I chose for the book. It really works because we also think in terms of relationships almost exclusively, you know, sure. if it, it, like the, we, we have a, a, a very intimate and immediate sense of the relationships where we have anxiety and you do a great job of um of qualifying where you you know here's some tips where you might need to set a boundary and they're all about feelings of yes. how you interact with someone i want to talk about how you set up the book you go way into your recovery story and talk about that as you didn't know it at the time but the the jumping off point for your recovery is when you set your first boundary and that it really saved your life. And you didn't know that that's what it was called at the time. But I I love this because we don't really think of boundaries as serious as they are. Can you talk about what was going on when you when that initial boundary was set and yeah. share your experience of how it built you built on that? Yeah, I mean the first boundary I ever set with another human being was, you know, into my second recovery after my relapse, sitting at a party I should not have been at with people I did not know with God knows what happening in the bathrooms and me blurting out in this moment of absolute panic for my health, my safety, my life, my recovery, I can't be here. I should not be in this space. I need to leave. And that changed everything. I had been Up until that point in my recovery, I spent five years as an addict. I had a year of recovery before I relapsed. Up until that point, I had only set one very shaky boundary with myself, which is I'm going to try not to use. (laughs) And I relied on nothing but like willpower and luck and circumstance to allow me to like hold that boundary. And I was so afraid to share any of my own need. Not only was I afraid to like ask myself what I needed because my trauma and my addiction had taught me that like I can't trust myself and I don't have worth and I don't have value to even have needs, never mind express them. 
I was so afraid that expressing my needs was going to make my life even smaller. And it already felt so small. Mm -hmm. I felt so alone and isolated and fragile. And I was afraid that if I said to people who I loved and who I cared about, like, hey, I also need this from you in order to keep me safe, that they would go to and all of a sudden I would be completely alone. And I could not have been more wrong. That boundary I set in that moment with my friend was the turning point in how I was able to build the last 22 years of my recovery where, you know, he was able to hear my need and he was able to, instead of scoffing or making fun of me, he said, okay, I, I didn't know. And he asked me some questions and I shared a bit more and he took me home. Yeah, And that was the moment where I was like, oh my gosh, he sees my worth and value too. And so maybe I could. And this strengthened our relationship. Now I trust him more and we have a deeper connection. And now I feel like, what if I could advocate for myself in other areas of my life? And that was it. That was the beginning of, you know, my the recovery that I have have built for the last more than two decades. You touched on a couple things there that I think are so key for people's fear of boundaries that that they're going to destroy their attachments the, and mm. and often these like sort of tenuous attachments. What do you tell people when the experience doesn't go well? Because mm -hmm. sometimes it doesn't, right? What do you tell people about that? And then also, um, you know, just because it doesn't, I think just because it doesn't go well, it still can f feel good. Yes, absolutely. So yes, I was lucky in that moment that I chose the right person to share this boundary with and this person you know, really cared and respected and honored that. What I need people to know, though, and what I do a really thorough job of explaining in the book is that boundaries aren't about telling people what they should do or trying to control other people's actions or behavior. Boundaries come from the self, and they tell other people what you will do to keep yourself safe and healthy. So had I sat at that party and said, I can't be here, I need to go home, and my friend James had said, that's dumb. You're fine. I'm not leaving. I'm having a good time. What I would have realized was, A, this speaks volumes as to my relationship with James and how much I can trust him. Mm -hmm. And B, now I need to, to take the action that I need to keep myself safe and healthy, which is, okay, I'm going to find a ride. Okay, I'm going to call an Uber. Okay, you know, I'm going to walk outside and whatever. But whatever that looks like, there were still things that I could do in that moment to keep myself safe and healthy. And that is incredibly empowering. Boundaries are about telling other people what you will do because you are worthy and you have value and you are responsible for taking care of your own health and safety. And that I think is a really important lesson that I, in that moment, I didn't have to learn, but I'm so happy I did learn it. Yeah in future encounters, which weren't so successful. I lost a lot of friends in that recovery. Mm -hmm. And it didn't go well, but it was exactly what needed to happen. And I felt an incredible sense of confidence and empowerment because of it. Right. You feel yeah. this internal dignity, like your body straightens up and and, and there's like yes. this opening. But that's because it's the truth, I yes. think. Right. It's always expansive. Yes. And lying, you know, or dishonesty or hiding or secrecy or abandoning yourself might feel slightly better in the moment, but it feels like a, con a contraction. It is. Yeah. It is a contraction. And I think once you have the experience of speaking your truth and realizing how it, you and I have talked about this, it lands, it hits differently. You feel it differently in your body and you show up differently. And once you feel that, it's really hard to think that playing small or covering up or hiding or not sharing how you feel actually does feel better in the moment. And that's where this boundaries practice can start to create some incredibly positive inertia in your life. Right. Yeah. Right. What is your definition of a boundary? Yeah. So you can think about a boundary as a, a limit that you set around how other people are allowed to engage with you. So if you think about, you know, standing in the middle of a big field and you draw a big circle around yourself, that's your boundary. Anything you allow inside that circle is because it feels good and safe and healthy to you and helps make that relationship better. Anything you keep outside that circle is because it doesn't feel good. It feels unsafe. It feels harmful or hurtful to that relationship. Yeah. So that's essentially 
my the framework or the definition of a boundary. It's always about the self. It's not about controlling other people. It's about agency and telling other people the actions you are willing to take to keep yourself safe and healthy or, you know, making a request around that limit to improve your relationship. And one of the most helpful, I think, frameworks that you provide in the book, and you post about this a lot on Instagram, is the green, yellow, red framework. You call it uh, minimum dose for maximum effect. So -hmm. can you talk about this framework? So it's a minimum dose, maximum effect is an old physics principle credited to Archimedes. And but it's also very popular in current health and fitness, which is to say, like, if your chicken nuggets get hot after a minute in the microwave, don't cook them for two, right? Minimum dose, maximum effect. And when it comes to boundaries, it is how gentle can our language be and still effectively communicate that boundary and have it be respected? So, you know, again, you don't, you could go in with the harshest, most, you know, fuchsia level boundary right off the bat. And sure, it would be effective, but it would also probably be really damaging to the relationship. And it's probably unnecessary. So I encourage people to A, always go in with good assumptions. The person that you're speaking to didn't know that you had a limit there or that they overstepped it because they're not a mind reader and you need to communicate that limit to them clearly but kindly and use the gentlest language possible. But I do provide escalations. So you know, one of the examples in the book is if somebody comes into your house and they light up a cigarette, the green boundary is, oh, we don't allow smoking in the house. Would you either put it out or go outside? Right. And then based on that scenario, if you need to escalate because they refuse, which is rude, or they come over next time and they forget, you've got this yellow language, which is a little stronger. And then the red boundary, which is essentially the boundary itself, the consequence, which is this person is no longer invited to my home because they have proven that they cannot respect my healthy limits. Yeah. So in every single script, and there are more than 130 in the book, I give you these specific, like, how exactly do you say it? Yes. In a way that's really conversational and very natural and doesn't sound like therapy speak, <laughs> right. but is very effective. That's the best part is the the actual scripts. And a lot of the boundaries resources that I've read throughout the years, you know, somebody will write into like a miss, you know, dear whatever column. You know, my mother-in-law is constantly dropping by without calling. I really need to set a boundary here. And the response is like, yes, you do. Here's how the boundary would benefit the relationship. You have to be, you know, firm but kind, but they never told you how to say it. Mm -hmm. And I was always like, but what am I supposed to say in this situation? And that's what people would always say to me. So I want to tell you exactly how you could say it and provide you with so many different ways to say it so that you can either have a really clear starting point and you can use it word for word or... You can say, oh, that's a good way to put it, and then frame it in a you know language that feels really authentic to you. So you said this before, but I want to like linger for a minute. The a boundary is about your behavior, the self, not theirs. And I think that's really confusing to people because in my mind and their mind, it's like, but they're doing something I don't want them to do. So yes. how is it about your behavior and not, yes. not the other person? So – I can never control what someone else tries to do. I'll give you an example. My parents have occasionally overstepped into my parenting of my son. They will make suggestions that are unhelpful or overparent in the moment. So my boundary is around I will not receive your parenting advice around what I choose to do with my own child, right? Please do not offer unsolicited advice. I will not be receiving that. Now, I can't control what they choose to do when I'm not around. They could talk about, they could talk like smack about my parenting all day long. I also can't control whether or not in the moment they say, do you, you know, should he really be watching this much iPad? I can't control that. But what I can do is control how I respond to that. So a green boundary would be, please don't offer unsolicited parenting advice. It's not helpful in the moment. If I want your advice, I'll ask for it. That is a a request. I'm essentially letting them know I have a limit and I'm asking them to meet it. If they're not able to do that, my yellow boundary in the moment is, oops, grandpa, remember mom's in charge when she's here. Why don't we go into the other room and watch iPad? So I'm removing myself from the situation. The red boundary might be, we're not going to be able to visit if you cannot 
control your desire to insert yourself into my parenting. That's like the harshest consequence. That's the boundary itself. Yeah. But in all of those situations, I'm not saying you can't think bad things about my parenting or talk about it amongst yourself. What I am saying is if you want our relationship to be good and you want it to continue in the way that it has been, I need you to like censor yourself in this moment, right? And they're either going to comply or they won't. And I will take the action I need to ensure that my mental health and my parenting is safe. It's such a mind switch. I think it's so helpful because then it's not about them being a bad person and them being mm-hmm. this and that. Because the next thing I want to talk about is guilt. And, and you call it your resting guilt phase. Yeah. Which <laughs> is <was just> so <laughs> funny. Um, but that, that boundaries are mean. You know, I think yes, there's a this, super common misconception. Yeah, this yes. this idea that they're mean and you know that you're going to hurt someone's feelings by asking them by telling them that you don't like something or whatever. So how how do you just get people to to see that boundaries aren't mean? Well, we have all been conditioned, and I'm talking we when I talk about women and specifically when I talk about moms by the patriarchy and misogyny and stereotypically rigid gender roles and religious influences and maybe our own recovery programs. We Mm -hmm. have been conditioned to not have needs, to be compliant, to make ourselves small, to put everyone else's needs above our own. And so to even have needs, never mind express them, feels like this radical act. And we are told that it is this radical act of selfishness. It's mean, it's cold, it's selfish. And we have to like unlearn all of that. That's the first step to all of this. We are perfectly worthy of having needs. And setting a boundary isn't saying only me. It's just saying me too, right? I'm not saying only me. I'm saying this relationship needs to work for both of us. And if there's, you know, a way that we can communicate such that it does, this is the way I'm going to request it. Usually on the other side of it, if someone is pushing back on your boundary, it's either A, they're embarrassed or ashamed of perhaps you calling out behavior that they didn't realize was insensitive or harmful. Yeah. Uh, B, maybe you're taking away a privilege that they were never meant to have in the first place, except now they've become accustomed to it and they're not pleased that you're taking it away. I see this a lot with like parents and in-laws. Uh-huh. Or the, and or they've never had bo- boundaries modeled for them. They don't have a healthy boundary practice in their own life and they don't understand or maybe even in some cases I'm told like I get mad when I see other people advocating for themselves because I don't know how to do that and I wish I could. Mm -hmm. And so what I always remind people in this situation is my parents still have a choice. I am not forcing anything on them. They can either choose to show up for me and our relationship in the way that is healthy for me Or they can choose not to, and there will be consequences to that choice, but I'm not dictating their behavior. And it's not mean. It's not arbitrary. I'm not setting limits around things that don't really have an impact on me. I am saying it's hurting our relationship when you show up and tell me how to be a better parent or insert yourself into parenting decisions that are between me and my son's dad. That's harmful to us. Yeah. And I don't want our relationship to be like that. So if you show up like this, we can continue having this like open, trusting conversation. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm the executive producer of Tell Me Something True, and I co-created the show with Laura. You know, we have one goal here, put something into the world that helps all of us figure out how we can have a better week. And we think that the best way to do that is to keep the pod ad free so that all of the work goes toward making something that's useful for you instead of hustling to keep advertisers happy. And this is where you come in. TMST Plus is the membership program that helps to keep this show going. Whether it's through a monthly membership or a one-time contribution, TMST Plus members are super important because they help to pay for the show's production and distribution costs. It's pretty sweet, makes a difference, and you can make it happen with a one-time gift for as little as $5 or $10 or $20 a month. If your situation is such that becoming a member doesn't work, it's all good. We hope you enjoy the show, maybe share it with a friend or two, and we hope you check out the playlist that we put together every week on Spotify. 
Just search the playlists for Tell Me Something True. It's free, and we're thrilled that you're here. And if you could become a member, well, you can find the link in the show description. Head over to tmstpod.com. Takes less than two minutes. And thanks. Did you ever feel selfish for having boundaries? Had Did you have to flip that selfish thing? And do you still have to flip it? Like, how do you do that? And how have you, yeah. how do you talk to people about that? I think lots of people, this will be a really conscientious process for a lot of people for a very long time. I am not a people pleaser. It is not in my personality structure. I've never been a people pleaser. I've been accused of being selfish more times than I can count. And sometimes they were right. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe because my first set of my first experience with boundaries were literally life or death, I did not have capacity to think about whether I hurt someone else's feelings because my literal life was on the line. My recovery was on the line, my future. So in that instance, I think I gained a lot of strength from that experience. I think that we do feel selfish. And I think I think we think we're getting something out of being so small and being so compliant and always putting other people's needs ahead of us in that if we do that, they will love us. Right. They will think we're good. They will think we're worthy. But that is like just one side of the coin that comes attached to, I'm selling myself out this whole time. I am disappointing myself every single day just so I don't disappoint someone else. And it's impossible. And it's impossible. It, Of course, it's not sustainable because if I attach my worth and value to what other people think of me, then I also attach my worth and value to their criticisms. And, and this idea, I think, of betraying yourself every single day, it takes a toll. It further distances ourselves from ourselves and listening to our bodies and checking in with ourselves and creating space to to ask yourself what do i need you slowly like chop those signals off every single time you ignore that you know internal voice and cater to someone else's expectations and we get further and further away from ourselves and it feels awful yeah so in the moment maybe we think we're getting something or it maybe feels easier but it's not easier It's not easier. It's all uncomfortable. When we allow, when we don't have boundaries and we just become this sort of like, whatever comes in goes immediately out. Whatever comes in goes immediately out. And we have no capacity. The container stays small because we're never, we're never filling it and allowing it to expand. And so we might be unselfish, but we're, but we're small. But when when we allow it to get f- filled, and when we we allow the 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 like growing is uncomfortable, right? It, but it requires yeah. a boundary. Like literally, a baby has to have a boundary in order to grow bigger, and have safety and all those things. When we allow it to grow bigger, then we have this sort of big container, and then we can give big. Like, don't you feel like you're only able to do the, run a company and be a mother and do all these things because you allow the container to get big by using boundaries? Yes. Anytime anyone says to me as an entrepreneur, what's your number one piece of like business advice? I always say pay yourself first. That's always been my mantra. And while it it has been at least since I realized that I had like run myself completely dry and was of no use to anyone um, because that happened in the beginning of my journey. But yes, you know, we in the case of the, you know, in-laws dropping over without calling, you feel as though you're being accommodating by just you know gritting your teeth and allowing it, even though it's inconvenient. But in that relationship, you're showing up resentful. You're not enjoying your time together. You're probably rushing them out the door faster. You're seething. You're not sitting down and able to enjoy the conversation. Your kids pick up on it. Your in-laws pick up on it. Your spouse picks up on it. Like We think that we're doing something nice by showing up in this way, when in reality, if we just allowed ourselves a small boundary, call before you come by, please. Give us at least an hour's notice. All of a sudden, in that moment, we can become big and expansive. This one small change now allows us to f- 
fully enjoy the visit, show up graciously, allow their energy to replenish us instead of drain us, which is a huge fix. And your kids notice the difference, your spouse, your in-laws. So I think having a few of those experiences where you recognize that one small limit can make you grow your container and refill your cup and then give you all of these other ways to show up for people in a way that is proactive instead of reactive is an incredibly powerful lesson. You talk about the repatterning often has to begin with us, right? Um, And and you talk about going first. Like a lot Mm -hmm. of times this type of work in a family especially is like you have to be the one to go first and it sucks to be the one to go first. But it Mm -hmm. reminds me of like the aphorism, you know, in recovery, if nothing changes, nothing changes. But what have you, like where did you and have you had the hardest time of the the categories you wrote about, where would you tell people to start? It's hard to know where to start because there are a few different places you can start. If you are like feeling so empowered by the end of this book and there was one relationship that is just eating you alive, and if you could just work on that relationship or resolve it in some capacity, it would feel like it would give you back like so much of your life back. Start there. Go for the big one. Yeah. Sometimes... It's about starting off small and building off like small wins, in which case setting boundaries around your own food or drink can be incredibly powerful because A, you can always control what goes into your mouth. If you don't want to eat the cake, you can hold the boundary by not eating the cake. It doesn't rely on anyone else to like cooperate with you. So right. that's kind of a bonus. Right. And B, those can have an incredibly powerful impact on your energy, your sleep, your mood, your self-confidence. So like you can start small and build off big wins there. Yeah. Or you can start off with the friend that you think is going to be the most respectful, you know, the one who you're already seeing maybe set and hold boundaries in their own life or you're reading the book together and there's one aspect of your relationship that you think could be smoothed over, test it out there. So I don't know that there's like any one good place to start. I saw tremendous benefit after struggling the most in setting boundaries with my co-parent. Yeah, I struggled there, <laughs> of course, yeah. right? Because yeah, same. You were married to this person. They know all of your buttons. You have all of this history. And now you're trying, you know, you break up, but you still need to engage with them on a regular basis because of the kid. And it's like hard. Mm -hmm. But once I figured out the boundaries I needed to set with myself and with my co-parent, that relationship, like everything turned around. I gained so much capacity, energy, and self-confidence, and I feel like I was able to show up so much better. So for me, that was one really challenging area, but an area in which I saw a huge payoff. I think that's probably the case for anyone who co-parents. It was it was oh, the yeah. case for me too. Um, you had this, <laughs> speaking of relationships, you had this funny post recently that was like, I'm coming for your mother-in-law. Mm. What is it about that relationship that you learned in writing the book and like what patterns did did you observe? Yeah. Oh, I mean, every time I ask for boundary stories from my community, the in-law stories <laughs> just floor me. <laughs> uh, we told my in-laws that they couldn't stay with us during their visit because the house was just too crowded. And they showed up on my doorstep with camping gear and they camped in my backyard. No. No, they did not. But yes, they did. Or, um, you know, my in-laws told us that they had purchased the really expensive stroller on my baby registry, but they had it delivered to their house. And if we wanted it, we would have to drive to pick them up. I'm nine months pregnant and it is a two hour drive each way. I mean, the stories go on and on and on about the in-laws. And I do think that there are some unique challenges to in-law relationships in that you know that this is a pattern that their spouse, your spouse has been putting up with and navigating for their entire life. And the in-laws absolutely have your spouse trained to respond to this behavior by saying, that's just how they are, mm-hmm. right? At this point, if your spouse hasn't stood up to them, now you are going to have to be the one to instigate the change in the dynamic. They're going to paint you as the bad guy. Mm-hmm. They may put you in a really uncomfortable position where your spouse feels like they need to choose between their parents or their spouse. And that's a challenging situation. There's a lot to navigate with in-laws, but I have a few rules and a few strategies that I think really can help in those situations. But yeah, they get their own section for a reason. (laughs) 
because the <laughs> stories I hear are wild. <laughs> yeah, I, we talked. You and I talked about that a little bit. I I was very lucky, and sounds mm. like you are too. I am. Yeah. Um. But I'm not surprised. And the strategies you have in that are really good. Um. So everyone, if you are in that situation, check out that part yeah. of the book. Um. Yeah. Another part I loved, um, there's a section, a small section called The Courtesy of Space, Grace, and FaceTime. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? Um, yeah. I, I actually had a, a recent encounter um, with someone that I was sure I had to have a like no contact, like put up the no contact boundary with. And I had made up all these stories in my head. Mm-hmm. about what they're thinking, what they want, and how they're going to react. And, blah, blah, blah. and I was like ready for the nuclear option, right? And then I saw them, sat down with them. And it was like, oh my God, I had this so wrong. you know. And I would have never known that had I kept it to like a text mm-hmm. relationship. So maybe talk a little bit about method of delivery <laughs> and also yeah. what you meant by the courtesy of space, grace, yeah. and FaceTime. So the space grace and FaceTime is in the chapter with friends where I talk about the fact that like sometimes you may need to break up with a friend. Like that may have to be the actual ultimate boundary that you set. We have, you know, a few different ways to do it and all the scripts that you actually could use. But that section is designed to remind people that how someone responds to your boundary in the moment is not how they may choose to respond as they show up as their highest self Mm -hmm. after you give them like a little space grace and FaceTime. So essentially, you know, if you're setting a boundary with your parents, um, we are not, hey, we're not going to see you on Christmas Day this year. We really want to stay home as a family and enjoy Christmas with like just the four of us with the kids. And your mom freaks out on the phone, right? That is so selfish. How could you take my grandbabies away from me? That is the moment where you allow them some space. Mom, I can hear that this is upsetting to you. I'm going to go. I would love for you to think about this. I'll think about this. Let's reconnect tomorrow and gently allow them the space to process it because how they show up in the moment may not be how they show up after they have time to think about it. Grace is this idea of understanding that sometimes the boundary you set is going to be challenging for them. They're going to have their own stories about what it means. Your mom may be saying, my son doesn't want to you know, spend Christmas with us anymore. And, and my son doesn't care about me creating memories with my grandkids. That's the story you're telling. Mm-hmm. And understand and have compassion that like your boundary may be challenging for some folks. And then FaceTime is essentially being willing to come back together after the moment to think about can we talk this through some more? Can I hear a little bit more of your concern? Can I share a little bit more of the reason kind of behind why we're choosing to do this and giving them the opportunity to show up in a different way? And I think that's really important when you're on the kind of setting end of a boundary. I love that part because it's we, we, we wish or we hope or we think that it's going to be once and done. Everyone's going to get it, you know, and it's almost never like that. Once in a while, you'll set a boundary and someone will receive it well. I mean, you probably might receive something well if it was well-timed and well-said and all that, but like there's the execution and the receipt is almost never perfect, right? Yeah. So this idea that like time and allow people <laughs> allow people to have their reactions, that the next question I wanted to ask you was that you gave a good example in the book of your sister and you reacting poorly to a boundary. Will you share that yes. example and sort of what happened? Oh yeah. Yeah. One of the, you know, one of the great things about developing your own boundary practice is that you become far more graceful and respectful when other people set boundaries with you. Yeah. And also except you don't, I don't even, when you, you know, don't. Yeah. I don't always get it right. So, <laughs> you know, my my son and I were visiting San Diego for the first time. We were staying with my sister. We flew in on Friday and Saturday was going to be a beach day. And we only had like a day and a half with her. And I was so excited to spend time with her, just the two of us. And I really expected that we, you know, my son gets up so early on the West Coast. Like he was already waking up at 6 a.m. So I knew he was going to be up at five. He's like three years old at this point. And my sister said to me, hey, I have had a really rough week at work. I really want to sleep in tomorrow. And as soon as I wake up, we'll head to the beach. And I'm like, okay, a little disappointed telling myself a story that like 
sleeping in was more important than hanging out with us when we only had a day. But how long could she possibly sleep in? She slept till 11, <laughs> 11 a.m. And I had been up with my son since 5 a.m. So that's six hours with a three-year-old in a strange space with no toys, like trying to keep him entertained. And when she woke up, I was like in this frenzy of this is more important to me than it is to her. She doesn't care about us being here. She's not willing to make accommodations, but I had had my boundary practice and I was able to keep myself in check. And so when she woke up on her own, I didn't make a lot of noise or passive aggressively like bang around. I was like, did you sleep well? And she said, yes, thank you so much. My work has been so stressful. I haven't had a good night's sleep in a week. I really want to be fresh for you guys today and for the rest of the weekend and I am ready to go. Like, let's hit the beach. And in that moment, I was so glad that I did not give in to my stories yeah, and that I just respected her boundary because it really was coming from a healthy place where she wanted to make this relationship and our visit better. Yeah. But I don't always respond great in the beginning. And sometimes I do have to like check myself and again, assume, just assume the best of people. I didn't, you know, I didn't have a pattern of behavior with my sister where she was super selfish and really mean. Right. And ignored I you and was, didn't care about yeah, you. Yeah. I was just telling myself in the moment this story. And I'm really glad I was able to like, we laugh about it now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just good to hear that. I think, you know, you, you call yourself the boundary lady and like a funny way. And it, this is forever and ongoing. Always. Yeah. Always a work in process. Always. Yeah. Yes. Because the relationships change, you change. I mean, Yes. I was just saying before we got on how I am getting to a point where I just want to – I don't want to work all the time. I don't want to work all the time. And so that means things change, you know, like yes. they have to change. And so you adjust to that. And what relationships need to change? What do I need to communicate to the people around me? So. Yes. You know, the best boundaries are flexible, not rigid. Mm -hmm. And I'll share an example. In December of 2021, so we're talking about, you know, almost a year ago, I – shared a post about a boundary I had set around public gatherings and COVID. During that point, COVID was raging in my community. My kiddo was young. Um, I think he was like barely vaccinated. Whatever the reason, we were feeling incredibly cautious around going out and doing social gatherings. And so I set a boundary around it. Somebody commented a month ago. So we're talking like eight months later, you know, commented on that post saying like, wow, this didn't hold up well. Like it was some kind of gotcha moment. <laughs> and I was like, what a perfect teaching opportunity that boundaries should be flexible. The boundary I set in December is not the boundary that I need now. And as such, I have reevaluated my needs. I have recommunicated my limits to the people that I need to. And I have a new limit now that serves me and my relationships. But if they are rigid, that's unnecessary and probably damaging to you and to your relationship. If they're so porous that they're flexible, you're not actually holding or setting a boundary. So you need to yeah. find that line, but it is constantly a practice for everybody, including me. It's also helpful to like keep that in mind when you're communicating your boundaries to people. Like this is just what's going on for me right now. I'm in a season, you know, I'm sure you've had seasons of not having the capacity to socialize much. Yeah. And so yeah. it's not saying like, this is how I am now. And this is how I'm, it's going to be forever, say with your friendships. Yeah. Um, but this is a space I'm in right now. I think that's also yes. an easier way to communicate to people. So, you know, some, t some boundaries are like, look for my own, for my own mental health, like my boundary around don't ever off. Like if you, you can smoke pot, if you want to don't ever offer it to me, that stands no matter what, I will never change that boundary to protect my recovery. That's like a fair one. Mm -hmm. But, you know, early on in my divorce, I had a few girlfriends that were friends with both of us and they would occasionally casually be like, Oh, did you see that your ex-husband was doing this? And I would say, I'm going to stop you right there. Please don't share news of his life. I'm really trying to respect his privacy. And for my own healing process, it's like better if we just don't know. Now, if that happens, it's like, okay, uh, you know, they can share. I'm not going to like stop them. I won't ask for more details. I won't comment back, but it's no longer necessary for me to hold that boundary because that yeah. was a season for me. So yeah. I think it's really important to stay self-aware around what might be seasonal and what might be like, no, 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 this is something that like I'm going to need to preserve either for a while or you know, yeah. for the rest of my life. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that brings up such a good point about, you know, in, in recovery, a lot of people that listen to this are in recovery. My boundaries were like airtight. 
at the beginning. You know, I, I had yeah. so many, I just couldn't do, I couldn't handle anything. Yeah. And I had to, when I finally was like, all right, this is just the reality right now. It was only then that I was, that it started, I started to be able to handle more slowly. Yeah. Like yeah. I didn't like going places where people were drinking or I just didn't, I didn't even have the yeah. capacity to socialize yeah. for like two years, not like yeah. a month, like two years. And now I'll go anywhere and do anything. And I don't think about it, it was only because I was able to to do that in the beginning or I finally like surrendered yes. to it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I had the same, the same experience with my recovery. Yeah. If I'm somewhere now and someone lights up a joint, I like, don't freak out. I probably will move. I don't really want to like be around it, but it's nowhere near the issue that it would have been an early recovery. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I think that's good for people that are early on to hear because it's not, you know, there's this idea that my whole life is shut down forever and it's just not like that if yeah. you respect the boundaries that you actually have now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that's key. One of the last questions I want to ask, because you you do a great job of addressing this, and um, this could probably be an entire episode, but like there are factors that um, preclude people or make it more difficult for them to set boundaries around gender, socioeconomic status, race, privilege, all of that. Can you just touch yeah. on some of the, the things that you observed in research and that you just know now about yes. that? Yes. I mean – in the author's note, I acknowledge that setting a boundary and, and expecting that boundary to be respected is in and of itself a privilege because of all of my unearned privileges. I'm white, I'm thin-bodied, I'm straight, I'm able-bodied. For all of those reasons, I have a different experience setting a boundary with a stranger or in the workplace than a woman of color or a trans person or a disabled person. So I have several places in the book where I talk about how to advocate and how to be a good bystander and how to be a good ally. I have several places where I recognize you know, that the way that I talk about boundaries may not reflect everyone's lived experience. I've talked to a lot of people, Black women in particular, about the intersectionality involved mm -hmm. in being a Black woman in the workspace and sort of the different levels of um, racism and sexism that kind of interplay and how those come into play in boundaries. So I think there's definitely exploration to be done in that area. For me, you know, simply calling that out is like at the bare minimum, absolute yeah. first step. But yeah. I took a really cool bystander intervention training in the workplace um, from an organization called righttobe.org that taught me how to be a good bystander in the workplace if I were to witness a situation of harassment or discrimination or racism. And that was really powerful. What was the name of the organization? The name of the organization is right to be R-I-G-H-T, and then T-O-B-E.org, and they offer bystander intervention training courses, virtual courses for a variety of different situations. If you see someone out in public getting harassed, or if you, you know, you're a witness to racism or sexism or um, homophobia in the workplace, here's how you, as a bystander with privilege, can intervene in those situations. And great. I absolutely, I included that as a resource in the book with some descriptors, and that's that would be a great place for people like great. me to start. To start. Yeah. yeah. Um, we didn't talk about work a uh, workplace much here, but you talk about it a lot in the book. Oh yeah, I thought that was really helpful, and you would specifically address the the those pieces because uh, I think that's one of the more difficult areas to have boundaries. Um, yeah, for people, uh, especially in America, you know, it, or the West, generally speaking, where we have a certain culture around work. Um, anything that you would want to say around work, just in, in a general way. Um, yeah, I mean, quiet quitting is like all the rage right now, right? Yes, you can't be I on know. TikTok and, and like even mainstream media have picked up on it. And like quiet quitting is really just the establishment of a healthy boundary practice in the workplace. You're not quitting. You're just saying, I demand a fair exchange of labor for value and I'm not going to work for free, nor should you be expected to. And so that's been a really interesting, I've, I've done some like writing and talking about that. I think the challenges of setting boundaries in the workplace are such in part because of the power dynamics in play. Right. So, 
you know, obviously you've got a hierarchy where you've got a boss and you probably need the job. It's certainly not easy to, for me to just say, well, if the workplace isn't a healthy culture for you, just find a new job. That's impractical and unreasonable for the vast majority of people. So you really have to think about, you know, what are the boundaries that I can hold, like really hold for myself in this area that don't involve like getting a transfer to a different department or going to human resources or filing a formal complaint or getting a new job. But there are certainly ways that you can advocate for your work time, especially your personal time. I spend a lot of time mm-hmm. around protecting your time off on vacations or sick days or after your, hours. Your out of office message, by the way, is the best. Well, you gave several examples, but then I got to see a real mm-hmm. one. <laughs> yeah. Because I emailed you during your and I was like, oh my yeah. God, she was not kidding. <laughs> No, it's good. It's bomb proof. My out of office message is bomb proof. There is none of this like, oh, I'm going to be away and I'll have limited access to email. No, 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 no. I will not be texting. I will not be emailing. I will not be checking. And like, unless you're Kelly Clarkson, (laughs) please please don't bother me because she's a national treasure. Um, Yeah. So I do. I give a lot of practical tips for that area around ethics and morals in the workplace. If you feel like you're asking, you know, for your ethics or morals to be compromised to kind of maintain your job, your personal space in the workplace, how to advocate for yourself against a micromanaging boss or Mm -hmm. coworkers who are asking you personal questions. There's Tons of examples while still acknowledging some of the challenges. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything in the book that you wish you would have written about? It would be awesome if I could write more and more examples. The one thing that I really had a hard time cutting back are the scripts. There are 130 in the book, but I could have doubled that because I had so many good stories from my community and I wanted to give people so many options. But you know, that just means that I have newsletter and Instagram content for Forever. the rest of my life. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So where can people find the book? And if they want more from you, what else are you doing? Any other things around this book? Are you going on tour? Like tell yeah. us all that. So the book is called The Book of Boundaries. It is, it was out, uh, it's out October 11th mm-hmm. and I am doing a fun tour. So there's a virtual event that I'm doing with Gretchen Rubin. So anybody awesome. uh, can buy a ticket and hear Gretchen and I chat. She's one of my like favorite authors and a dear friend. And I'll be in Chicago, Cincinnati, Salt Lake City, Phoenix, and Toronto for in-person events as well. So I would love to see people there. Um, and you can find all of those details at my website, which is just melissau.com and also Instagram, melissau.com. Well, this was great. And I want everyone to read this book. It is honestly really, really good. I'm going to be using it for all my teaching and all that. So thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. It was good to talk to you again. You too. Thank you for being with us today. If you want more TMST, head on over to tmstpod.com and become a member. Members get access to the full uncut versions of these conversations, opportunities to submit questions for AMAs, and invites to join me for members-only events. We decided from the beginning to make this an independent project. We don't have sponsors and we don't run ads. This means we can make the show all about you and not what our sponsors or advertisers want, but it also means we're 100% reliant on you for support. So my request and my invitation is simple. Support the show by becoming a member. You can do this for as little as $5 a month. I cannot stress this enough. You could make a huge difference for as little as $5 please head on over to tmstpod.com right now. Tell Me Something True is engineered and mixed by Paul Chufo. Michael Elsesser and I dreamed up this show and we're looking forward to joining you online and next time on Tell Me Something True. Tell Me Something True.